Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sound Project podcast, Getting Undressed with God. The podcast where we talk about what you think, but don't say it. You believe, but won't discuss it. And you often feel, but are too scared to share it. As always, I am your host, Pablo Giacopelli, and I am naturally delighted that you could join me once again. Today, I am going to be uh, discussing some of the discoveries that I have made uh, of the relation that belonging and identity have with each other. And why it is that even though so many of us are so aware of these two things, so few of us actually experience them in the fullness that God intended for us. So I invite you to sit back, fasten your seatbelts, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Song Project podcast, Getting Undressed with God. I hope that today you are a little bit more naked than you were yesterday and that as you continue to journey uh, towards returning back to your beginning, which is of course God and the kingdom that is within your heart and the true identity that uh, that king uh, gave to you, uh, that of course um, you are a little bit closer to discovering all of that truth about you and your life. Um, I had a great Thanksgiving and I hope that all of you uh, did too. Um, We didn't eat turkey out here in Israel. Uh, I think we ate uh, salmon fish. Uh, But of course, the turkey is just something, you know, that has become a traditional dish for the Thanksgiving time. But in reality, the most important thing about Thanksgiving is, of course, giving thanks. And uh, somebody, funnily uh, enough, asked me uh, over WhatsApp, it says, do you guys celebrate or do you celebrate Thanksgiving? And I said to, I replied to this lady, I said, yes, every day of my life. Uh, Of course, I know what she meant, uh, but, you know, it's great that once a year we come together, um, you know, to to say thank you. Uh, But the reality is, of course, that the more we get to know God and, and the more we understand how much he loves us, this, this Thanksgiving exercise becomes a daily routine to our lives. Now, um, I want to I wanna share today a, a subject that has been very close to my heart um, and something that uh, over the last few years has been giving me a lot of understanding Uh, about many areas of my life, uh, but none more so than this need uh, to work very hard, Um, particularly in my relationship with God and trying to, um, you know, to somehow make the grade um, and somehow, you know, pass the test so that, of course, I I could be classed as acceptable uh, and approved. Um, And, um, you know, as I have sort of thought about this, um, and why is it that I, I needed this? Uh, I see this as a two, a sort of like a two-barrel shotgun, if you like. The, there's two main reasons why I attempted so, I worked so hard, and, and what was behind it um, was to try and gain something, and that, that something then would sort of indirectly give me the other side, the other barrel of the shotgun. And the first thing was, of course, I was desperate to belong. Um, I realize as I look back now that uh, leaving home so early um, meant that I lacked the, this feeling of belonging to something. 
um, uh, to a unit, a family unit, a place where I could call home. That then, uh, as we belong uh, to our homes, then this gives us what we believe is our identity. It gives us an identity. Now, this identity, you know, we carry it in our surname, we carry it in our family traditions, our culture, uh, the social conditioning that the family uh, revolves around. And as we look at all of these dimensions of belonging to this house, this home, then obviously we begin to get an understanding of who we think we are. And then we therefore present that to the world. And then the world looks at that and identifies us as that is us. Now, of course, this works in the in the reality that we live in. But of course, that's not who we really are. But how true it is that what happens usually uh, in our human life on the outside of us, it's obviously reflective of very much a truth of what we look for outside is obviously also something that within we look for. Um, clearly, the outside can never uh, satisfy the longings of the inside. But nevertheless, you know, when we try and look for something outside, it means that there is something deeper that mirrors what we're looking for outside that is not being filled or something that, of course, we are not aware of. Now, belonging um, and identity go hand in hand. Um, if we want to know who we truly are, then we got to know that we belong. Now, the problem with belonging is that a lot of us, like I did for many years, we try and belong through our doing where uh, belonging, healthy belonging comes really or is meant to come through our being. Now, this, uh, this problem, of course, isn't new. Uh, it didn't just start in the 20th or the 21st century. This problem uh, began back in the garden. And so today I want to I wanna go back and I want to start looking there to try and understand what happens there. And there obviously we will work our way towards uh, obviously Jesus and what Jesus had to say about it. And then, of course, I will finish, as always, with a couple of stories in my own life as I have seen this transformation and this awareness that I've come into impact my life and how that's, of course, changed what goes on in my life on a daily basis. Now, as we look at the beginning, uh, we see that God obviously creates Adam. And then after he creates Adam, he, he builds or he, he makes this beautiful garden and then he picks Adam up and he puts him in there. Now, we know that the garden was, was a space of intimacy. It was a space uh, where Adam uh, found and got all his underlying premises of what we all need uh, to have met in order to live a healthy, happy and peaceful life uh, and live the life that God, of course, meant for us, but also to be the people that God meant for us to be not only for ourselves and with our relation with him, but also, of course, to others. Adam was getting all of that from the, the garden. Now, in the garden, as we know, there was one reality. So in other words, there was only love. There was no fear. There was only success. There was no failure. Um, there was only uh, compassion. There was no hatred. There was only the one identity that obviously God gave to Adam through his spiritual DNA and Adam found in his relationship with God. Um, there was there was only purpose. There was no purposelessness. Um, there was only affirmation. There was only security. There was no insecurity. Um, there was, uh, you know, of course, grace. There was faith. There was love. There, there was all the great things 
that, um, you know, as human beings, um, when we experience those things, uh, which only, of course, God can give us, we have this incredible, um, you know, attraction about ourselves because, of course, like Adam did, we know where we belong. Now, everything is good, um, except that Adam, um, instead of continuing in that one reality, he makes a decision uh, to choose the rules, which, of course, God had advised him and said to him, listen, you don't want to eat from that tree. Because the minute that you eat from that tree, you will die. Now, we know it's not a physical death, even though eventually, of course, Adam does die, like we all do. We know that it's a spiritual death. Now, this obviously gives us the ability to understand that what was going on in the garden uh, was a spiritual dimension. It was, it was, it was not, as we know, um, you know, what uh, we relate with and we see here every day in the world that we can touch. There was a spiritual dimension to all of that. And in order to experience it, Adam, though he was a human like us, he was in the flesh, he was in the world, the material world, which of course God had spoken into being, in order to function within the garden, in order to, to be able to, to have all these, all these underlying premises met from God, there was to be, this all was happening within a spiritual dimension. And Adam, of course, needed his spirit to be alive because of course that's what gave him the awareness of what was going on so now up until this point uh adam's belonging he belongs he knows who he belongs to he knows who's given him life and you know he obviously within the garden has found his home in god and he belongs uh, now of course up until this point all of this is based on trust in faith, uh, through grace and unconditional love. Uh, and it all very much begins with God. Adam simply accepts it, uh, enjoys it, um, you know, lives within this reality uh, and is part of it. Uh, but it doesn't depend on him doing anything other than just protecting and managing the place where this is taking place. Now, as we know, um, Adam comes to a point where he is convinced um, to choose the rules, which is, of course, the law, the tree of good and evil, uh, over this ongoing trust that he obviously had with God. So suddenly, um, something is presented to Adam, where in, in essence it says to him, listen, if you eat from that tree, you will essentially gain control of your life. You will no longer have to trust. You will no longer have to believe God. You will no longer have to have faith in him. You will no longer need him. You will now be able to provide for yourself every single thing that he's providing for you if you just are able to fulfill the rules. And so Adam, in that instance, falls in the same trap that the enemy himself fell, if you like. Because we know that one of the reasons or the main reason why the enemy was thrown out was because, of course, he wanted to be like God. Now, he presents the same thing, albeit a little bit differently, because, of course, he's cunning and clever. And he presents it in a different way. 
But he still basically is saying to Adam, listen, you don't need God. Because when you fulfill the rules, you're going to be like God. And then you're no longer going to need him to belong. Your belonging is going to found in you being able to fulfill the rules. So there's a lot of things that happen here. You know, he's putting into question who God is uh, and making it seem like God is insecure and he's held back from Adam and hasn't shown him everything or hasn't given himself completely to him in case Adam finds something and there obviously God is insecure and he doesn't want Adam to find it because if he does, then God obviously is no longer God, which of course we all know is not the case. There's a lot of things, but you know, which we could talk about and maybe in the future we will. But at the moment, what we want to focus on is that suddenly the belonging that gave Adam his true identity is suggested that can be found through what he does. And that as he does that, he will create a new identity for himself. So what happens here is um, suddenly Adam becomes unaware of who he is. Now, Adam remains that person, but now he's unaware because, of course, what gave him the awareness and enabled him to remain within the identity and within all these things that were given to him in the garden has now been taken off, which is, of course, his spirit. So the separation within Adam takes place. And now Adam suddenly begins to see the garden with the eyes of his ego. He no longer sees it with the eyes of his heart. This means that it's no longer attainable for him to remain within the reality of the garden and therefore he has to go. Now we know as he goes, what happens? As he goes, he begins to toil and it's through the toiling that he feeds himself. It is through the toiling that he begins to gather uh, a new uh, information to try and help him to know who he is and where he comes from. Obviously now he, he is not and the full understanding that he comes from God because he believes he comes from the ground because obviously God says, you know, you're going to go back there to find what you need. Uh, And of course, we've spoken about this in other podcasts. So now his belonging, everything now begins to happen through his doing. It is no longer through his being, which is what was happening in the garden, that that gives, gives him that feeling of belonging, which then obviously gives him the feeling of identity. Now, in this world, um, I like to I like to call um, how we go about trying to belong and find who we are. I call it the pay-as-you-go identity. And what does that mean? Um, pay-as-you-go, as we all know, is something that you know as you go along, you have to keep paying. As long as you keep paying, you keep getting. The moment you stop paying, you no longer get. And our false identity very much works that way. Our false identity, which is what we look to, obviously, in order to feel like we belong and that therefore then we can then explain to the world who we are, is something that requires us not only to uh, create it, but it also requires us to keep it going. So we have to continuously keep working hard. We have to continuously pain so that it can go on. The day we stop trying, as we all know, our identity or the things that we look to maintain in order to create the identity, to keep the identity going, begin to fall apart. And as those begin to fall apart, then obviously we begin to run into these problems where we are now losing who we are. And that's why we then double our efforts and try really hard. Now, obviously this is the case with everybody in the world. 
But unfortunately, this is also the case with many of us within this Christian journey. Um, many of us, we have uh, taken, uh, without even knowing sometimes, this invitation that Adam also um, took, where, of course, we trust our doing and our fulfilling of the rules more than we trust who we are in God. And, uh, and so in order for us to feel like we belong, we work really hard. And then we obviously, because we subscribe to this journey, we then judge others and judge who belongs and who doesn't. And normally the way we do that is by looking at what they do or they don't do. And if they do, how well they do it, how consistent they are, right? And how often they do it. Now, no, at no point in this sort of way of seeing things do we even bother to think what people do when the, the doors close at night, when they're on their own. Nobody really even contemplates what is this person feeling inside? What are they thinking about? What are they fantasizing about? Um, you know, as long as people come to the meeting once a week and maybe once a week during the week, uh, as long as they give their tithe, as long as they appear to be living the life that fulfills the rules, then we class them as, yes, they are Christians, they belong. And therefore, that is their identity. But the reality is that I subscribe to this, uh, this journey that I've just described to you. And I realized that really what I was doing was I was choosing the rules, a pay-as-you-go identity instead of trusting God, trusting who he was, who he said he is, trusting that he could meet these underlying premises that are within each, of, each and all of us in a way that all my doing couldn't. And so that is really what this, this sort of getting undressed is about with these podcasts. Because you see, our false identity covers what is good and true and is already within us, uh, within our hearts. Um, and so when we cover, we further separate ourselves and blind ourselves from what is already good and true about us. And we find in our being, not in our doing. So what happens in our spiritual journey or what is meant to happen, right, is we are meant to shed these things that cover us, these things that we look to on the outside to help us explain who we are and give us the feeling of belonging, right? And keep us busy and absent and working so hard and toiling in life. We are meant to shed those things. And Jesus speaks about this. He says, if you wanna, um, if you wanna, <laughs> if you wanna discover who you are, you first have to lose who you think you are. Okay, now that's me paraphrasing because the way he said it is if you wanna find your life, you have to first lose it. Now, I for many years wonder, you know, what, what does he mean? How do you find and lose something? Well, you can only find something and lose something if there's two things. One that you can lose and one that you can find. And the way that Jesus puts it, it suggests that the one that you got to lose is covering up the one that you will find when you let go of the one. Of course, that is doing the covering up which is essentially what I'm trying to say. We cover ourselves up on the outside. We present that we are these people through what we do. And all along, 
who we really are, our real life is sitting silently within us, right? Within the reality of the kingdom, within the reality of that spiritual DNA that God is giving each and every one of us. Now, Jesus um, tells a phenomenal story, which, of course, it's, uh, it's familiar to all of us that have ever picked up the Bible. And even people that have never picked up the Bible are aware of this story because it has... It has made the canvases of, uh, of several famous uh, artists. Um, it has, I believe, has been on a few movies, uh, the theme at least. Um, and it has been a theme that has been, you know, in, in several dimensions of society. So it doesn't really mean that only someone that attends church as a Christian or reads the Bible is aware of this. But, you know, this is a story that we're all aware of because at the end of the day, we, are, we all fit this character in this story, and that is, of course, the prodigal son. Now, what I love about the prodigal story, and there are many things that I love about this story, um, but the, the, the first thing that I love about this story that Jesus tells is that the son is at home. So the story begins with the son at home. Now, all of you know that I have always said, uh, through revelation that God gave me, that the Garden of Eden is a picture of our hearts. And so when Adam leaves the garden, he leaves the reality and all that we find within our hearts behind. And he goes out to obviously do life outside from his heart. Now he now begins to do life from his ego. Okay. Now the Bible says that life begins in the heart. All right. But of course, because now he's spiritually dead. Now he, as far as he's concerned, life begins within his mind and what he is able to fabricate from there. Now, in the prodigal, like with the garden, the story begins at home. Okay? So the son, the story doesn't begin with the son already left or the son never being home and needing to return, but the story begins with the son being at home. Now, the son, at the moment, before he, obviously, we move on through the story, he belongs at home. He is living at home. He is a son. He's got the full rights of a son. That means that everything his father has is his. And he's functioning within that reality. And all of it is given to him. And all of it is part of him, not through his doing, but through his being. Now, suddenly, the son becomes through his unawareness, really, of who the father, his father is, of his unawareness uh, of who he really is in the family, how, you know, the, the, the place he has of, of privilege, of, of, of security, of love, of acceptance. He suddenly basically says to the father, listen, I want you to give me my share, right? So in other words, I am going to take what is mine, I am going to take, if you like, what gives me uh, my independence, uh, what gives me now control of who I am, and I'm going to leave home, and I'm going to go and create a new reality for myself that has nothing to do with you. Because here at home, unfortunately, I don't have all the things that I can create for myself out there, which are going to be far better than the ones that I am being provided here freely. And you see the trap? Exactly the same trap as Adam. 
We believe through our doing, we have a better chance of creating and finding this happiness, well-being and peace that we so desperately look on the inside. In the same way that Adam fell in that trap, in the same way that the prodigal falls in that trap. He wants to be his own father. He no longer wants to trust his father. He wants to go out and he wants to be the one that controls the journey. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to look out here uh, in this story with the prodigal. The first and foremost is that the son never stops being a son. He never stops belonging. The only thing that happens is that he chooses to find his belonging, not in what is um, reliant on the father in keeping it going in providing it, but he chooses to now belong through something that he is in control of providing, of creating for himself. Now, all of us are given uh, gifts. We all are given talents. I've spoken about this before. And those talents, those gifts that we are given are without repentance. Now, um, I know for my life, um, I took those gifts over the years and I attempted to use those in order to create a reality within my life that would help me to be successful, that would help me to feel protected, that would help to, to create a security that would help me to obviously, um, you know, feel like I belong to something that was worth presenting to the world. And obviously, the more I tried and the more successful I became at that, the less I felt I belonged and the less I knew who I was, the further away I got from the place within me where I could discover that. Uh, and so what happens with the son is that when he goes out, he is using, um, if you like, the, the rules, uh, but instead of it being rules, is his inheritance, which is, of course, his, you know, the gifts that we are given. Uh, but in his case, obviously, he's also using the, the money and the wealth and the riches that, of course, he has been given, which, of course, our gifts are able to provide and produce for us. Um, and God doesn't really attach any conditions to us because we know the gifts are without repentance. So... If we're good at something and we do it well, we will obviously create good opportunities for ourselves. Now, eventually the son, like Adam, <laughs> like the son, like we do, we come to the end of our abilities. We come to the end of our trying and attempts and manipulations and controlling journeys. And the way we come to the end of them is we come to a place where we realize that the harder we try, the harder we need to try next time. And that no matter how hard we try, we never seem to get anywhere. Because you see, the goal in life is to come home and to remain home. But the more we try and the harder we try, the further away we get from our real home, which is found within our hearts, which is what Jesus was essentially saying to Nicodemus. You have to be born from the beginning. He doesn't say to him, you have to be born again, which I have a really big problem with this born again, because you see, being born again suggests that you have to start all over again and that, you know, in order to be able to suddenly belong, you have to, to forget all that you did. You have to forget who, who you were and what happened to you and what you did and you didn't do. 
And the reality is that those things that we did and didn't do, those wounds, those pains, those things, those are some of the most valuable things about us that become the real treasures in our lives once God is given the opportunity to heal us and to set us free and, you know, and obviously transform us and enable us to obviously return back into our heart, into the reality of our hearts. Those are the things that then give us the ability to empathize with others and help us to understand that, you know, we came from God. Because if we have to start all over again and God only joins our journey when we put our hands up and it is only then that we start to belong, then who created us? Where did we come from? And does that mean that we only begin to be beloveds of God when we put our hand up? Well, as we can see in the garden with Adam, as we can see in the prodigal son, the son never stops being a son. Adam never stops being a beloved of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, why are we trying so hard? Why do we continue to try to fulfill the rules to be good? Even though Jesus said, you know, only God is good. Stop all that good stuff to the, the rich young ruler. And it is through that that we are trying to desperately create for ourselves an opportunity to belong, an opportunity to sustain that belonging that then gives us an identity and in reality, if we're honest, to try and qualify ourselves as being worthy to be loved. Now, the prodigal never finds that through his doing, through the using of his abilities and the wealth and the things that he has been given freely. When he finds that he gets to the end of that, and if you today are at the end of yourself, you're in a fantastic spot. Because now it is a great opportunity to turn back. And this is exactly what Jesus came. He came to return us back to the beginning, to our home. That's why Jesus calls himself the way. He is the way that leads us to the truth, that leads us back to the life that we have and we've always had available to us within our hearts, which is, of course, our Garden of Eden. Now, as the sun returns home, right, it's a beautiful thing. The, 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 the son comes back and, of course, we know that the father comes out. He welcomes him. You know, he throws a party. The father is delighted that he's come back home. But, of course, there is a guy next to him, which is the older brother. Now, the older brother has attempted to keep himself belonging through all that he did. Now, we see the kind of harvest that that has brought into his life. And that is, of course, anger, disappointment, frustration, right? The inability to relate, the inability to uh, empathize, the inability to love unconditionally. And isn't that, I know that that is what all my doing for so many years, my pay-as-you-go identity program that I was involved in, that's all that it created because it never enabled me to relate with the Father within my heart, within my home. All it did is it basically kept me apart and growing more and more resentful as I attempted to qualify myself through all the doing, 
right? I was in control, I was doing, I was fulfilling, I was producing. Through all of that, all I came to was a, an inner bankruptcy that basically meant that I realized I have no relation with my father, my real father in heaven. Now, think about this. I came to that realization uh, 15 years after I had put my hand up in a church back in America. And so I wonder today where you are at. I hope that I've been able to present to you uh, this, this program that so many of us, even so many of us that put our hands up, which are being fed up with, with Christianity and the programs and this and that and the other, and we are just done with it, but yet we are not done with God and Jesus. Well, I, want, I hope that I've been able to bring some understanding, some clarity as to why we do not belong uh, and we don't find this belonging and also which of course you know indirectly means that we are never settled in who we are i know that as i have begun to do life from my heart and i have allowed god to heal my heart i have allowed him to set me free as i've allowed him to undress me and undress me from the things and the roles and the titles that i thought i was I am discovering every day more and more who I am in him and who he is in me, but also and most importantly, how much and how well he loves me. And all of a sudden, all these underlying premises that I tried so hard to meet through my doing and through fulfilling of the rules are met. And these are the ones that empower me to indirectly in many areas of my life, fulfill the commandments without even trying, because of course, I am able to fulfill the first two. Not because all of a sudden I'm great, but because all of a sudden I understand who I am and whose I am. And therefore, I'm able to love the Lord with all of my heart. A lot more of my heart today than I had yesterday. And I believe that tomorrow I'll have even more of my heart than I do today. And I am able to love him with my mind because, of course, my mind is no longer occupied and overloaded. Uh, in the future trying to redeem the past that of course I'm still ashamed of because in my heart I know that I belong and I know who I am and that I am loved and of course that then enables me to love him with my strength because again I'm not spending my strength trying to find what has already been freely given and delivered to me by the Father in my heart. We need to understand that it is when we encounter the Father within our hearts, not within our minds, but within our hearts, that our lives are finally transformed and we finally realize that we have always belonged and that we belong at home with our dad in heaven. In him, we find every single thing that we need, including our identity. Now, the first story that I want to reflect or, or share with you that I believe reflects uh, what I'm talking about, this pay-as-you-go identity and, of course, this, this ability to belong, the reality of belonging and knowing who we are. Um, when I was a child, because I left home so early um, and because I obviously made agreements with life that uh, I needed to impress people through what I did uh, and that I needed to be amazing at it, in order for people to love me, like me, and accept me. Uh, every time I met someone new, I st straight away, be when I began to talk to them, I began to tell them what I had accomplished, what I had done. 
And often as a child, I would go over the top in my accomplishments, in what I had done. You know, I would exaggerate the truth because, you know, if I began to tell people what I normally would have done um, and I didn't see the smile coming, then obviously I, I turned up the volume. I turned up the, the false pretending and which is funny enough, so many of us even do it in our in our adulthoods. But anyways, you know, um, I turned up the volume and until I saw the smile and, you know, but by then I had basically gone and has stretched the truth a really, really long way. Now, this obviously became my life, you know, uh, I, I even when I became a believer, you know, instead of my tennis accomplishments, now it became about how many people I had prayed for, how many people had gotten saved, you know, what miracles I had seen God do through me, uh, how much money I had given. So it, it all began to revolve around, you know, what preacher I had been able to meet, uh, what important or famous, uh, you know, pastor I had been able to have lunch with. Uh, or I had been able to somehow get a hold of him and get to talk to him and how God had provided this divine appointment for me. And so it still was very much about my doing that I obviously then went out of my way to tell people in order to impress them. Now, some years back, I found myself at the other end of a table uh, to a, a person that was, a, was and is still a diplomat um, of a very important nation in the world that is, of course, based here. This diplomat is based here in Israel. And we were having dinner. Um, and we began to talk. And as we began to talk, obviously, I listened. And then, of course, I began to talk about myself, my life, uh, mainly through questions that were being asked to me. But as I obviously began to go through the questions, I had this moment of self-observance, which I've shared about this in the past, and I'll probably be sharing more in the future, which is a very powerful dimension where you are basically enabled by God to see yourself, right? Your false identity at work from the peace and the tranquility of your true identity. So in other words, you get a front row seat to, the, to the, your false identity you know, at full steam, our work in itself. And I began to see myself start telling a story or start building a story, which as I look back now was just a blatant lie. It was false. Uh, and though there was some truth in it, the, the, the sort of like the reality of the story and where I was trying to take it and what I was trying to communicate about myself was just not true. And I was just, again, I was stretching the truth so far that it was just no longer truth anymore. It was, you know, it had obviously got degraded into, in, in, into a lie. And so, you know, while I'm doing that, I have this moment where I say, why am I doing this right now? And then suddenly, you know, I cannot realize what I'm doing, but of course now I'm full steam ahead. So I finished the story and then... I go home and obviously, you know, I did business with dad and dad was very gracious. He said, don't, don't start beating yourself up. You know, you've been doing this all your life. You're used to it as a habit, as an addiction you have. And this is one of the reasons why you don't understand who you really are because you're too busy keeping this false identity going, the pay-as-you-go identity. And you have to try harder and you have to make it look and sound more impressive as you go along in order to, for this thing to survive. Now, um, not so long ago now, I was also at a dinner and I uh, again was in the presence of some diplomats 
Um, and this time, as questions were asked, I began to answer them, but I didn't have the impulse or the compulsion to impress. I just simply replied the answers. I just simply answered with the truth and what it was. And what I realize now as I look at that is I realize that I no longer depend on the reaction, the affirmation, the approval, or even the impress, the impression that I get from others of how impressed they are with what I'm saying in order to get me to feel that I belong, that I am okay, and that I am someone that is worth loving and that it's, it's, it's you know, who I've become is good. I now get that in a large part from my Father in Heaven. And that's even these podcasts that I share with you. They're not really scripted. I don't sit down and prepare them for hours because I want to be real raw and uncensored. But also at the same time, God is setting me free from this need to be impressive with everything I say, every video I make, every podcast I speak, every single thing I write. Yes, I do my best because I love to do what I do and I really work very hard but I no longer find my identity in what I do or how well I do it. I find my identity within my heart, in my Father, within that kingdom that gave me life and created me even before 6th of June, 1970. Uh, I already existed in the mind of God, Ephesians 1.4 says. So I was already within God before even the beginning of time and that also means you and that is the place where you and I we belong and in that place we belong not because of what we do but because of who we are and whose we are so I hope that uh, I once again today have challenged perspectives I have invited you to consider perhaps things that you have never considered or perhaps consider them in a different way than you have before because I know that if I've done that uh, then it's been worthwhile me not only doing this talking, but of course you sitting back and listening to me. So I want to just close by saying thank you once again. Uh, it's been great to spend and share these 42 minutes with you or 43 now we're coming to. And uh, I do hope that we can uh, do this again next week. So until then, I send you my shalom and my peace. Bye bye. Friends, thank you for listening to the Zone Project podcast, Getting Undressed with God. We have come to the end of another episode, and I sincerely hope that it has been enjoyable, a blessing, but above all else, it has led you to perhaps consider perspectives you have never seen before. For more information about the Zone Project, this podcast, and all the other work that I put out on a regular basis, please take some time to check out the show notes where you will find the relevant links. As for me, I hope that you can join me again, so until next time, thank you and Shalom.